0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar Noelle LaCroix, and okay, so academic achievement gets me a little excited. <laughs> well, I like that about you. <laughs> and
1: I'm story expert and exemption for impending death situation, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Lover's Walk, the
0: eighth episode of season three. Lover's Walk aired on November 24th, 1998, and was directed by David Semel and written by Dan Weber. Dan Weber wrote just one other episode of Buffy, this season's 13th episode, The Zeppo.
1: All right. Still Pretty is fully spoiled. We are going to talk about this episode, and we're going to talk about any contextual whatnot we might want to get into (laughs) as we talk about the entire series as a whole. So if you have not watched all of Buffy, go Do that now. It's very important that you have that entire thing under your belt. Then come back and listen to all of our episodes because they're really lots of fun. All right. We gave her everything. Beautiful jewels, beautiful dresses with beautiful girls in them, but nothing made her happy. So let's go on patrol. In lover's walk, spikes back, spikes back, spikes back. (laughs) Okay, I got that out of the way. Let me back up. In <laughs> Lover's Walk, the SAT scores have come in, and while Willow is disappointed with hers not being perfect, everyone else, except Xander, seems to have a bright future ahead of them. Later that night, a black DeSoto crashes over the Welcome to Sunnydale sign, and guess who's back, falling down drunk and ready to cause trouble? It's Spike! Spike's back! Um, sweet um.
0: Drunk and weepy after being dumped by Drew, Spike returns to the burned-out factory and works through his grief by smashing Drew's charred dolls, as you do. Meanwhile, Buffy's great SAT scores are giving Joyce ideas about Buffy's future, and as Giles pocks up to go on a retreat in the woods, he agrees the college is a real option for Buffy, especially now that there's a second Slayer around. Willow and Xander plan a double bowling date with Oz and Cordelia, which seems like a good idea at the time, but as their attraction to each other increases, so does the guilt. I wish I wasn't so attracted to you. I wish we could make it all stop.
1: Any suggestions? Spike goes on a mournful bender, spying on Angel in the mansion and ranting before passing out in the courtyard. He wakes up to the sun lighting his hand on fire and decides it's all too much. Up to the magic shop, he goes, looking for a curse to give Angel boils. But when Willow walks in with a list of ingredients for an anti love spell, he gets a new idea. Buffy goes to visit Angel, looking for him to tell her that she should stay in Sunnydale. But instead, he tells her to go to college. Willow calls Xander into the chemistry lab where she's doing her anti love spell. And while they're fighting about it, Spike shows up. I'm gonna get the lights.
0: Clean this place up before they get here and start asking questions. Xander! I need to borrow the little girl. You don't mind, do you? Spike knocks Xander out and takes both of them to the factory basement, where he tells Willow that she's going to do a love spell for him to get Drusilla back, or she and Xander will both die. She sends him out to get her supplies. At the school, Cordelia and Oz discover that Xander and Willow are gone, and they get Buffy. She sends them to go get Giles, and then picks up the phone when Joyce calls the library looking for her. She hears Spike's voice in the background and rushes out. Angel gets there first, but he's been disinvited. Spike taunts him as Joyce freaks out, but Buffy arrives, invites Angel in, and is just about to stake Spike when he tells her he's got Willow and Xander. Where are they?
1: Doesn't work like that, Peaches. When did you become all soul-having again? I thought you outgrew that. Your friend's going to work a little magic for me. And she does my spell and let them both go. You're
0: not famous for keeping your promises, Spike.
1: Well, you and your great poof here want to tag along, that's fine. But you get in my way, and you kill your friends. As Oz and Cordelia are driving out of town, Oz smells Willow and follows that trail. Spike takes Buffy and Angel to the magic shop to get supplies and lectures them on the difference between love and friendship. At the factory, Xander wakes up, and Willow brings him up to speed on the situation. I'm not supposed
0: to. Exemption for impending death situation. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, Oz. We have to get out of here. After she and Oz catch Xander and Willow kissing, Cordelia rushes out of the factory, but the stairs give way beneath her and she falls, getting impaled by rebar outside the magic shop Buffy, Angel and Spike run into the mayor's goons sent to take out Spike they fight and Spike gets a little perspective oh
1: god it's been so long since I had a decent spot of violence it really puts things in perspective can
0: we just do the damn spell now
1: oh saw the spell your friends are at the factory I'm really glad I came here you know I've been all wrong headed about this weeping crawling blaming everybody else I want Drew back i just got to be the man I was, the man she loved. I'm going to do what I should have done in the first place. I'll find her wherever she is, tie her up, torture her, until she likes me again. Willow gains some perspective, too, and realizes that the person she really wants is Oz, but he won't speak to her now. At the hospital, Xander brings Cordelia flowers, but she won't talk to him either.
0: Look, Cordy, I want you to know that I... Xander... away from me Buffy goes to see Angel and tells him that she can't see him anymore he has trouble accepting it so she gives him an impossible option there's got to be some way we can still see each other there is tell me that you don't love me
1: All right, Noelle, Lover's Walk. Oh my God. It's so good. And this is one of my favorite episodes ever. This is going to be so
0: fun. It's so, so good. It's so good. Um, starting with the writing. Hello. I know. I don't usually notice the writing per se. Um, and I realize that everything we see in here on screen that's not improvisation or accident is the writing. Right. Um, but I'm talking specifically about the dance of dialogues and plot lines and scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are a little bit clunky but in a way that works you know buffy says nothing's gonna happen and then willow says something's gonna happen but spike crashing into the welcome to sunnydale sign and then just (laughs) drunkenly toppling out of the car and reprising his home sweet home line Mm -hmm. that's the kind of writing (laughs) finesse that i just i love and it just keeps going um -hmm you know tell me that you don't love me buffy says to angel oh. at the end and that was the line in i only have eyes for you when they're working mm-hmm. out their they're working out their issues via ghosts yeah. as you do in relationships sure. um i'm not a fan of the cordelia death fake out but yeah everything else everything else is just so delightful um mm-hmm. especially everybody at the end with their melancholy seven beat (laughs) we get angel willow oz xander cordelia and buffy all just forlorn after everything that's Mm -hmm. gone down and then spike's triumphant exit rocking out to my way as he speeds (laughs) down the road gonna go Uh, seduce uh, drusilla uh, by torturing uh, her is like oh, it's the, it's the chef kiss moment on the episode. It I, really is. So good. So, it's good. so good.
1: And Dan Weber, as you mentioned in the opening, right, w- w- is just like a freelancer. Yeah. He writes one more episode this season and then never does anything else. But the thing is, like, his understanding of these characters, which can sometimes be a little thin, especially with the I, I guess by this time, we're in the third season, so there's enough material to get to really know the characters and know the situation. Um, but, you know, with a freelancer, they, they often don't um, don't have the inside jokes. They don't have all of the context um, that that the writers who have been on the show for such a long time, who are staff writers there every week, would necessarily have. So to take an episode like this, which is so important, I mean, this is the return of Spike. That's a big yes. damn deal. Um, and a lot of things happen. You know, in yeah. this episode, we have you know Buffy admitting that she's in love with Angel. Angel admitting that he's in love with Buffy. They can't see each other anymore. Willow and Xander get found out uh you know Cordelia gets you know stabbed with rebar um all of this stuff you know it's it's so important to the overall season um there's really good stuff really important stuff happening here and to pass that on to a freelancer uh, like a really important episode um is usually you know um like not the way it goes they usually get like the one-offs like the Zeppo the yeah. Zeppo you can see passing that to a freelancer um But Dan Weber does such an amazing job with this episode. It's so good. And I'm like, what? You didn't have a spot on the team for this guy. He's yeah. good. Yes. You know? Yes. So yeah, that always kind of surprised me. Um, but it's such a fantastic episode. And it comes right down to like the title. The title is something that you can look past really quickly. You look at Lover's Walk and you think that it's a possessive, mm-hmm. you know, that this is the walk of lovers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but what it is, it's not possessive. It's lovers, plural, walk. It's what lovers do. Mm-hmm. They walk, right? Yeah. And when you look at it that way, it adds this extra, like, punch in the gut of melancholy to this episode, you know, um, yeah. which is all about, like, the the essential fragility of these love relationships, you know, and that they just fall apart. Um, and uh, And I think that it's just, it's so incredibly good you know and at the end of the episode you know all of our lovers have walked like you just pointed out right except mm-hmm. spike who has got this renewed mission to go back and win drew back through yep. violence and mistreatment which you know i mean granted fair enough she's probably gonna like
0: yeah i mean it's <laughs> <You know>? drusilla <laughs> exactly. but yeah, he, exactly. he literally has drive at the end like he's yes <laughs> it's so great It's so good. (laughs) Well,
1: right. And I mean, of course, out of all of these relationships, uh, you know, Spike and Drusilla is probably the one that you could point to and say is the most destructive. But I think it's really interesting, though, Spike and his ability to love. Love is one of Spike's, I think, like main characteristics, his ability to love and to exist in the world with passion, you know, Mm -hmm. and with energy, like, it's just like, essentially who he is. Um, You know, this is the only episode in season three with Spike, you know, we have a drought, we have a Spike drought (laughs) until season four, when we start Spike's second act, right? You know, in in this in this whole thing. Um, He comes back, he has this transformative experience of the chip, which of course takes away the thing in life that he loves the most yes. which is violence right <laughs> you yeah. can't hurt people um and that leads him through one of the best and most interesting character arcs in all of buffy um watching spike is fascinating and asking <laughs> questions about spike is always kind of fun you know going back to this idea of vampire love right right that vampires can love you know drusilla says uh, we love not wisely but you know quite well or something yeah. like that you know she talks about that and and um In season two, when the judge came in, you know, I smell humanity on these two. They have love and affection, you know, and all that, all that. Right. Which is, which is real. So it's kind of interesting because it sets up these like essential questions about love, you know, that love exists truly independent of whether or not it is actually healthy or good for us love we have this this idea that everything is love all goodness is love everything good in the world stems from love mm-hmm. but you know is it really true or is it the fact that we define love so broadly you know like we we have one basic word for it you know mm-hmm. um is vampire love is love without a soul not love is it obsession
0: yeah yeah it raises i mean there are so many questions that this episode raises for me just about Mm -hmm. things like the definition of love in its various forms and friendship i'm fascinated that spike kind of he pits love against friendship and so we don't love friends and like i get it i get and we'll get into this when we get into all of our you know all of our lovers um yes of the title but i just like we we learn so much about who spike is as a character Mm -hmm. through his the way he experiences and defines love i mean I, i love the way he he taught when he's talking to joyce and he says you know, she's trying to bond with him about you know her her experience yeah. with Buffy's father, and he says, "No, our love was eternal, literally." <laughs> <And> he's <laughs> just—it's clearly like vampire love is like its own thing, or at but least it is to that spike
1: different. I mean, is it is it different? And that's I think an essential question. And it's weird that in our language we don't have enough words for these different kinds of love. Um Eric Fromm said, immature love says, I love you because I need you. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. Right? Mm-hmm. So his love for Drew Would I mean by that definition? You know, there are a million definitions out there. I'm just pulling, you know, one one prism through which to look Mm -hmm. at this. Um, But his love for Drew would seem to be immature love. It's it's about his needs. You know, when he says to to Willow, "Make her love me, make her crawl," right? That's not love. Wanting somebody to crawl, wanting somebody to be in pain, Mm -hmm. you know, is not love. That's obsession. That's like, you know, there's something. Not quite right about that. And then as we see, you know, not in this episode, but as we see moving through the series, his love for Buffy is a mature love. It's a love he doesn't want. It's a love he does not embrace. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, eventually he does. But for the most part, he's he resists that idea that he's in love with her, Um, you know, but it is just about loving her. When we finally get to Spike's speech at the end of season seven in Chosen. You know where he says it's not because i i want you it's not because i think i can have you Mm -hmm. it's because i love who you are i love how you try right that there is this essence in buffy that is is real love for him and you know and it's funny because at the end of this episode we have buffy saying i can i can fool Giles." giles i can fool my friends but i can't fool myself or spike for some
0: reason I love that so hard. It's so I good. Know. It's it's so, so good cool. now, and that's the thing because yeah. they really do see each other. Yeah, yeah. And what I wonder, like that feels like great foreshadowing of the Buffy Spike connection, but I don't think that was on purpose. I don't think at this point it
1: was. I think at this point it was just ironic. Yeah. You know, but the fact that he can see her and he always sees exactly who she is, is really interesting. And, you know, we're going to see Spike love Buffy in a spectrum. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. He's going to love her in ways that are completely destructive and also love her in ways that are pure, you know, and complete you know. Um, and it's funny, because I, I've talked a lot, you know, in my work, and I've talked about this in the early days of Still Pretty, when I was doing it by myself and, and going through season six and seven, um, about the difference between a love story and a romance, yeah. you know, and this idea of romantic love and what that is versus friendship love or other kinds of love. Um, and the thing is, is that Angel and Buffy are a romance, and Spike and Buffy are a love story. Now, I think that there is love in Angel and Buffy's story, so don't at me. All the- <laughs> angel people yeah. who get insane when I compare Angel and Buffy and Angel and Spike and Buffy just sit back it's fine mm-hmm. we don't have to agree I'm just making a point so romance <laughs> is all hyperbole and drama it's Heathcliff out on the moors you know it's like a vampire with a soul in love with a the slayer they want to be together but they're star-crossed and then they get together but then he loses his soul and he's still a vampire and da 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 and the thing about Angel and Buffy is that when they can't be together romantically they can't be together at all, like here is this yeah. moment at the end where she says, "I can't see you anymore yeah. unless you can tell me that you don't love me," which is interesting because if he says he doesn't love her, does that mean she doesn't love him?
0: Like, yeah, I don't. Doesn't it... Yeah, that weird, weird, but okay, it fits. Into it is. The... But it's a wonderful moment. It's a great I moment. Mean, like, and I love a
1: drama. Of the moment that's hugely romantic, you know, yeah. um, but in the reality of like a love relationship, yes. which can exist without romance, like a love story will exist independent of romance, a romance can exist independent of a love story. You can have both of those together. A lot of romances out there exist independent of a love story, mm-hmm. um, which is where they fall down because they're about the, the hyperbole and the drama and the, you know, Heathcliff on the Moors and like yeah. all of that bullshit. Yeah. You know, which, by the way, I, I hate Wuthering Heights, but we'll talk about that some other day. <laughs> um, or maybe not. Or maybe not. Whatever. Maybe we'll talk um, about it right because- now. <laughs> It's fucking terrible, and Jane Eyre and Rochester for Christ's sake! Oh my God! Okay, one of these days maybe we'll do a Patreon extra where we just talk about that bullshit. But anyway, so we've <laughs> built up culturally this idea of this like romantic experience, this wild doomed romance, and like how heartbreaking it is because of that longing, you know that it, that it makes us feel, and it's wonderful and terrible, you know. But the love stories to me are the ones that I really love. I mean, I'm a writer of romance, you know. I've always written romance novels um or novels that at least have romance at, at a central part of their story and the thing is is that what really what I really love and what really matters to me I like the love stories mm-hmm. you know and we have tons of those all throughout Buffy we've got Buffy and Giles we've got Willow and Buffy we've got Buffy and Dawn Willow and Giles Willow and Xander like there's love stories everywhere that are not romantic, you know, but are truly like a huge part of, of what it is about Buffy that we love and that we love to experience, you know, but Buffy and Spike, are a really interesting love story. They are not romantic. Like, they have a romantic relationship when they get together in season six and, the, six and they start having sex. And then, of course, season seven has has these, you know, really strong romantic overtones to everything in their relationship. So there's all of that going on. Um, and, it's, and it's a little bit weird. But primarily... This is an intense love story because they are so ultimately and honestly connected. Mm -hmm. It is this honesty that they have with each other, which sort of comes from the fact that they don't care. Like, (laughs) she doesn't care what he thinks of her. Yeah. And because of that, she's never trying to, you know... tiptoe around his tender feelings or make him feel better or whatever, like throughout all of it, even when they're together, there's, there's this brutal honesty at the heart of their relationship, which I think opens up that space for real love because without honesty, there cannot be real love unless you are completely honest and open with somebody and they know who you actually are. Um, The love is always going to be somewhat fragile.
0: Right, because you can't, you can't love something, you can't connect with something that you can't access. So that authenticity, you know, when you're when you're truly honest, you're truly authentic and open to being seen, um, which is really what Buffy is all about. I mean, as a character, you know, we talk mm-hmm. a lot about Buffy wanting a normal life um, and I have poo-pooed this idea quite a bit (laughs) on the podcast, but the the topic came up in Discord a while ago Mm -hmm. and helped me sort of tease out that it's not so much a normal life that Buffy wants. The normal life is kind of a way of expressing this desire to be seen, to be open and authentic and not have to lie or hide or tiptoe around someone's, you know, concern or feelings or any of that. And she has that with Spike. Yeah, well, because he can understand
1: her. In a way that nobody else can. I, I th- And I would argue not even Angel. Yeah. Like he sees not just her amazing qualities, but he also sees her darkness and he gets it. Mm-hmm. And he understands, you know, what that's about. And Angel, I think, is so consumed by his own guilt and darkness that he doesn't see that. Buffy for him is light. Mm-hmm. Buffy for him is air and sunlight and everything that he can no know- he can't otherwise have, mm-hmm. you know. Um But Buffy for Spike, he sees everything about who she is because she's not trying to hide any of that from him, which is something that happens in romantic relationships because people are so obsessed with the, you know, I need this person to love me. Mm-hmm. you know, that they pretend to be whatever it is they think that person is going to want, whether that be nefarious when somebody <laughs> is is deliberately pretending to try to like, you know, have a conquest, right? or just kind of like this innocent fear of having that person see everything that we are, this fear that they will then not be able to love us because we're somehow unworthy. And with Spike and Buffy, they both kind of start at this space of Not necessarily unworthiness, but like, I don't care if you think I'm worthy. Right. I don't care. And from that relationship, they see exactly who the other one is all the time. Right. You know, they are always completely honest with each other. And it is that lack of desire to possess, at least definitely for Buffy. You know, she never has a desire to possess Spike, although he does get that desire to possess her in later seasons. But at that point, they've already built up that base of knowing and understanding each other, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then he tries to be, you know, quote unquote, good (laughs) to the best of his abilities, which are, which are not great because he can't understand what goodness is. So he's, he's never going to be able without a soul. He's never going to be able to understand, you know, what love is. And later on in season six, you know, she tells him, you don't know what love is yeah you know you can't know you don't have a soul and that of course you know spawns the the third act of of spike's um uh you know journey (laughs) through this story which is when he gets his soul you know for that purpose and then once he does realizes that he truly didn't have any idea what the (laughs) hell he was doing you know um but i find this i No, Spike is so, Spike is so interesting. I could spend, honestly, just years talking about Spike, which actually is is what I do, because (laughs) once we get into season four, that's going to be 99% of the discussion, because I'm going to be like, oh my God, Spike. Um, But there's so much really interesting, I think, philosophical um, discussion happening in Buffy around what is love and how does it work? We have all these love stories. Yeah. So many love stories in Buffy, you know, and and all of which at different points are central. I think the the Buffy and Willow love story is hugely central to the entire run of mm-hmm. this, you know, show. Yeah. And we get caught up in the you know hyperbolic romance story and it becomes Buffy and Angel or Buffy and Spike and which is better Spike or Angel and it doesn't fucking matter but anyway <laughs> long whatever it is that interests you and pulls you in that's what matters right. so, like for you it can for somebody else it could be Buffy and Angel for me it's Buffy and Spike it's okay people get so passionately like aligned and identified with the the ship of their particular choice without realizing you can be on all the ships at once You can be Maybe. on all the ships like, Yeah, I'm on all the ships. Mm -hmm. I'm on all the ships. But I I think that I'm most engaged by what the Spike and Buffy storyline has to say about true, honest love, you know, and it's something that like in all of my love relationships in my life, I've always been as soon as I love somebody, um, I will really try so hard to protect them from everything Mm -hmm. like I will be dishonest in ways that are not. Um, you know, that are not male- malevolently, you know, g- come to, it's it's out of a desire to protect them and out of a desire to make them happy and make them feel good. And then that honesty, you know, becomes somewhat separated from that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when I see the Spike and Buffy, you know, storyline, I look at that honesty, even though sometimes it, it's cruel, and it can be ex- uh, incredibly destructive between the two of them. And I think, God, that's wonderful you know to know that you have had the courage to show somebody your entire self and they still love you like that's something truly special and I think that is really hard to come by and in these you know wild romantic stories that we have so loved you know for so many years I I think the only one uh, off the top of my head, the only classic love story I can think of where there is that level of honesty is Darcy and Elizabeth, which also happens to be, you know, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. For those who don't know who I'm talking about, <laughs> get thee to the A&E 1995 uh, BBC <laughs> Colin Firth show and then and read the book and we'll talk later. Um, but Darcy and Elizabeth have that honesty, too, because in the beginning... They are not inclined to lie to each other or to be dishonest about who they are. And even when Darcy proposes to her, it's with, well, you know, as you know, you are way below me and your family's unbelievably insane. And it would be to my great shame to marry you. But if you would marry me. Anyway, right, exactly. Like that, that <laughs> proposal scene is so honest. And I think it's that level of honesty at the base of their relationship that when they first got to know each other, they weren't playing these hyperbolic Heathcliff on the, you know, Moors games. Um, that that love story is is so believable and true underneath all of that. And that that's really, I think, what it is that we want from these romantic stories. But romance in and of itself. I mean the question is. Romance in and of itself. Romantic love in and of itself. Does it have a shelf life? Is there an
0: expiration date stamped on it? Because it can only last so long. That is a fascinating question. Because it is so heightened. Or at least that's right. what we've been. That is that is the story. That we tell about the story. That is romantic love. It's Which... Okay, there's a and there's a third piece here. You know, we've been talking about love and romance, but there's also friendship, which yeah, Spike. I love first of all, I love Spike's self awareness around love. Like part of his Uh, part of what uh, what enables his bullshit detector for the Buffy Angel nonsense is his own understanding of really being victimized by love you know he says yeah. i may be love's bitch but at least i'm man enough to admit it and right that whole that whole definition is fascinating mm-hmm. to me that yeah there's something there's something about being in love that makes a person miserable that there's this mm-hmm. like you know there's the fighting element and there's the hatred element to being in love. And he's got this Spike has this very hyperbolic sort of view of love, like mm-hmm. coupled love. Spike doesn't give us a definition of friendship. Um no. He does suggest that it's less than, that it's yeah. you know, he's he's deeply sorrowful and offended that Drew would tell him that they could still be friends. Oh, yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. so curious as to what Spike thinks friends means, you know, friends. How could she be yeah. so cruel? Like, I don't I don't know. Does Spike have friends? Spike doesn't have. No, friends. he does not. <laughs> he does not have friends.
1: He doesn't do friendship. No. It's not his thing. I mean, even with him and Angel. And, you know, if you go through all of the backstory that we eventually get of him and Angel and their relationship, um, you know, uh Angel was with Darla mm-hmm. and Spike was with Drusilla and they were um in this group together because of the love relationship and I guess that there's, you know, safety in numbers when you're a vampire <laughs> being hunted by Holtz throughout and that yeah. that's for the Angel series if you haven't seen that go watch that too. It's it's you know, terrible in a lot of ways but also amazing. <laughs> um the highs are so high and the lows are so low. Um but, uh, but I mean, his relationship with Angel. You know, is really interesting because it is almost always um, kind of a rivalry, and we have that first moment in School Hard yeah, when Angel comes in, he says, "You were my sire, man." Like they, yeah. like that, they had a, and he's so happy, you know, and jealous, and he gives him a big hug, and he's yeah. like, "How are you doing? What are you doing here?" You know, um, but but later, as we sort of you know elaborate on that relationship, it's always. Um, a rivalry. It's almost like a brotherhood that they have. So they are, they're not really friends either, but there is like a deep, I think, love between Spike and Angel as well that we explore, I think, a lot more over in the Angel series, you know, than we do here, Mm -hmm. although we do get a little bit of it. Um, you know when we get to the end of uh, Season 7 mm-hmm. and we have a little bit more Of uh, Angel and Spike uh, You know in their their sort of relationship It's real um, subtextual
0: but I Definitely read it as a queer relationship uh, Oh I Ange- love that Angel and Spike I mean there's definitely The kind of Push pull of romantic love With them too The way they are so yeah. Mean to each other <laughs> the way that you know and they're vampires they're bad guys so that kind of like you know cruel to be kind vibe i think really works for them but when Mm -hmm. when angel loses his soul and goes back to spike and drusilla they are i mean it's party mode and there's that wonderful moment where angel snarls at spike and then kisses him on the forehead and spike just laughs and it's so delightful um but something that Spike does that is, you know, maybe textual is when he's insulting Angel, um, insulted Angel, he uses mm-hmm. words to suggest a kind of femininity or homosexuality. He uses, you know, he says, oh, sure. you know, like, and I don't, I don't want to repeat a lot of what Spike says about Angel, but he definitely, there's that kind of, I'm going to be homophobic because i have maybe have feelings about this person um Mm -hmm. i definitely get that from spike especially with ensouled angel because of spike's relationship to love and have you know Mm -hmm. and loving the world and feeling things very deeply spike experiences things very deeply (laughs) he does and he embraces the world really does and that bond with angel i think is part of that um, mm-hmm. the way, and you know, the definition that Spike gives us of love involves mm-hmm. fighting. You know, you'll yeah. you'll, fight. you'll fight,
1: and you'll shag, and you'll hate each other till it makes you quiver, but you'll never be
0: friends. Now, if that's not Angel and Spike, <laughs> I don't know what is. You know,
1: yeah, so, no, I think that there is a bit of that in their relationship. I mean, we never get anything textually from that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but there is a sense of that with him and Spike, it's interesting though, does not make friends. No. You know, like he becomes part of the team, especially after Buffy dies in season five, right? You know, season six, he's part of the team, but he does, I think, become real friends with Dawn. Mm -hmm. I think he develops, like, I think Dawn is a real friendship for him. Um, she's important to him. I
0: hadn't thought of that. I'll have to watch for that. (laughs)
1: Right. Part of it is because he loves Buffy. Buffy died. Dawn meant a lot to Buffy. Right. And so he protects Dawn. But I mean, if you look at the kinds of scenes that indicate real friendship, you know, when Dawn wants to bring um, Joyce back after she dies and Spike goes with her to help her do it. You know, Um, Spike is with Dawn. Spike and Dawn actually do have, I think, what is for Spike like a new kind of relationship that is truly friends like he's you know, he's there. He's fighting beside Giles and Willow and Tara and and Xander and Anya and everybody like he's part of the team, but he's not friends with any of those people. He's (laughs) actually friends with Dawn (laughs) You know, which is why when Dawn says, You sleep, right? You know, after she finds out what he did to Buffy in season six, <laughs> she's like, If you ever come near Buffy again, I will set you on
0: fire. <laughs> <laughs> so good.
1: Like, that's a really big moment for him. So, anyway, we're
0: getting way outside we're getting of lovers' Way block, outside but, of this. Okay. But, but friends. talking about love and friendship, though, yes. yeah, bring us back okay, to friendship. Okay. So, friendship. So, our, our like friend partnership here is Willow and Xander, right? So, we have. Do we have Willow and Oz versus Willow and Xander as love versus friendship? Well, I don't know. I know I mean, Willow's been in love with Xander for ages. Yeah, it's such an interesting the the Willow. Okay, the <laughs> all right, the Willow Xander train wreck is just I I can't look away, you guys. Like... Yeah, and part of it is that I would like to see a version of this story where uh-huh. people are comfortable having different relationships with different people, um, mm-hmm. you know, friendships between people who might be attracted to each other or might because mm-hmm. of their sexual orientations have the potential to be attracted to yeah. each other. Um, but it is possible to get different things from different partners because, of course, we mm-hmm. are, you know, varied in our wants and needs and Mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's interesting that this kind of you know one and only narrative this you know there is one Mm -hmm. person for every person is so in the soil i mean it gets so baked Mm -hmm. into all of our narratives um oh yeah you know when the reality is that some people in life are monogamous, and that can be Mm -hmm. lovely and wonderful. And some people aren't. And that can also be lovely and wonderful. But Mm -hmm. our baked in cultural messaging can cause so much trouble for folks. You know, this idea Mm -hmm. that if you're in a relationship with someone, of course, Mm -hmm. you're monogamous. And of course, any intimacy outside of that relationship, even with a close friend who has known you all your life, is problematic at best. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think that that also comes from if you promise
1: monogamy to somebody and then you cheat, like if everybody's open, if it's an open relationship and everybody's on board and they're like, yeah, that's OK, then that's fine. You know, but I mean, like you've got to have that conversation. And if you haven't had that conversation, yeah, the default, you know, presumption is monogamy, which I think should not be the case. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think it's um, problematic. Yeah. I think it's problematic that we culturally assume that Everyone is monogamous That if you are in a relationship It is monogamous And just by default Um And yeah. I'm not suggesting that Buffy As a show Should have tackled the idea of A messy polyamorous <laughs> quad Among high school seniors uh, Like that is not uh, 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 That's not what I'm suggesting <laughs> um, Although yeah. if that show exists Please let me know Because I would love to watch Roswell, it Roswell, New Mexico No, um <laughs>
1: Not the old Roswell, the new Roswell, New Mexico. I've actually been watching. Um, It's very interesting. And I I won't know. They, They haven't gone that far. But there's there's more interesting stuff happening with those relationships and they're also 10 years out of high school. So I mean there's that. Sure, sure, um, sure. but actually I find I'm finding a lot of interesting things are happening over in that show. But I mean like culturally at the time that Buffy was on, I don't think people were really ready to have that discussion. It was hard enough to get Willow to be, you know, lesbian. Yeah. Um you know to have Willow uh, have that transition in her life and to appropriately show that relationship battling standards and practices the whole time, totally. right? You know. Yeah. Um
0: so that's a whole thing. Yeah. I'm um, I'm just- Just calling out cis heteropatriarchy because I can't help it. (laughs) It's terroir. No, it's in there.
1: You're absolutely Um, right. I mean, you're absolutely right about all of it. But yeah, these are the presumptions that we we sometimes fail to question and failing to question them, you know, culturally, I think that gives us a lot of problems in our regular lives. Yeah. Well, and it
0: creates a sense of, you know, we've got this like conflict machine of, you know, these are the rules that you follow in relationships but like who says those are the rules i just think it's it's Mm -hmm. an interesting discussion to have um i also think it's hilarious and bizarre that we have this cultural narrative that says that there's no sex in a friend's relationship i just like (laughs) i just find that really funny and maybe it's because i have a bad habit of like developing crushes on friends (laughs) oops um Whoops. whoops sorry not sorry guys but uh Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just I think that's very funny that we we culturally have this idea that like friendship is one thing and people you Uh have sex with is another thing. So if you are friends with someone and then you want to have sex with them, that is a problem. You know, like it's weird when you break it down. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) It is. It is all a little
1: bit weird. I mean, it's funny because like I personally separate like I I completely I don't know if it's because I've been brainwashed by whatever, (laughs) if it's just the way that I am. But like there's sex and there's friends and you can go from friends to sex to romance.
0: You know, Uh but like
1: if you try to go back from romance to friends, that can sometimes be difficult. I I did that with my first husband, though. We are great friends now. And it's awesome. He's the the best. That's the cultural narrative, too, though. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's really
1: there is that there is that separation, this really stark line between friends and and love. And I think that the best love relationships when I was writing my books, like the best relationships like come from friendships, true friendships. Those are really, really fun to write.
0: Yeah. Which of course, you know, if we're gonna let's I mean, let's define our terms, Dr. Kelly Jones style here. You know, like <laughs> Hey Kelly. You know, Kelly. You know out. Define your fucking terms. Define so your fucking friendship, terms. Friendship. I mean, so then what is what is friendship then? It's like a like a like affection and connection but without it's it's love without romance it's hard but feelings romance, without pants feelings is that what we're like getting I, at I guess but then but like
1: I mean these all like, god we could do and we're gonna <laughs> apparently do an entire apparently, episode just on this this is what we're talking about um,
0: Sorry, everyone. but it is
1: really no, It's really <laughs> interesting, though. I mean, you bring up this really interesting point. Like, like I was saying at the beginning, like we have one word for love, and yet there are so many different kinds of love. And you can, you know, the kind of love that you feel for your kids, yeah. the kind of love that you feel for your friends, and then the kind of love that you feel for like a partner. Mm-hmm. And romance is, I think. And I'm not sure, but I mean, looking at it feels to me like this definition of of love in a way that is inherently, you know, um, uh, terminable. Like it's it's, it's a terminal, <laughs> it's a terminal relationship from the beginning. Like that, it's never gonna last because romance is based on these things that are not actually real. That is
0: fascinating. And,
1: Friendship is based on things that are actually real. And when you have a love romantic partner relationship that is based on true friendship, right, which comes from that honesty and from really knowing each other, right, that that's that's where things can go really well, but it's not the heightened drama and wildness of these romantic stories that we love, mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, there is a romance in every single story. Pretty much almost every single story has at least a romantic subplot, a love interest of some mm-hmm. kind because we love that romance, but we so rarely get it right. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that Darcy and Elizabeth did. The way that I think that Spike and Buffy does in this very complicated, highly destructive way. (laughs) But they genuinely know each other and they genuinely love each other regardless of whether they're sleeping together or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has something to it. So what Spike is talking about, love he's talking about romance yeah he's talking about wild fire passion (laughs) I mean we love that shit because that shit is awesome man when you get the right moment with the right person that shit can fly and it's Mm -hmm. nice you know Um, but it is so temporal it is so locked in a moment and it's not every day. And I think that like one of these things, you know, everybody gets married because of this great love or whatever, you know, and then you have to get up every day, and go to work, <laughs> and take care of the kids. And that kind of like, you know, kills
0: that. And then you're stuck with this person yeah. who you may not be great friends with. Yeah. I <laughs> you mean, know? like yeah. marriage is just standing in front of the drawer that your spouse needs to open. Like that's just right? like... <laughs> Marriage is just being in each other's way in the same space like that. (laughs) But we go to marriage based on this idea of this wild
1: romantic love and yet essential friendship love, you know, can can oftentimes be missing from that. And then when the wild romance fades away, you know, you're left in this space you know, where you're standing in front of the drawer. You know, like so I don't know. I mean, it's like, I have no answers to any of this. These are all questions. I have no answers to any of it. I, I love romance. I love romantic stories. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm in it. But as I learn more, as I experience more about, you know, wild romantic love and then real life, um, there's something in our, our cultural idea of wild romantic love that um that plays into passion but not into into real love like the kind of love that that buffy and spike have and while spike's love for buffy is I think more um prevalent like her love for him is you know very complicated because he's a monster. Yeah. Right. So it's very difficult for her to actually understand what she feels for him as love but he also monster or not knows her in a way that nobody else can ever know her yeah and that and being seen I mean I think that being seen is at the core of what a real love oh god this is so interesting (laughs) when you said that before you said that earlier that being seen Mm -hmm. by someone being completely totally honestly seen by someone That that in itself is so much more powerful and so much more permanent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think that that's what's really interesting. We go for all of these like outward expressions of love and passion. That's what Spike's talking about.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But truly being seen is ugly and messy um, and uh, so unbelievably vulnerable for the person being seen. Yes. You know, and yet the connection that comes from that essential being seen is, I think, what we're really after. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think that's I think that's
0: exactly it. And I think we see that really Mm -hmm. clearly with Spike in this episode. I mean, he tries he like puts out these bids for connection with really everyone he comes across i mean talk to me like talk to me a little bit about spike and joyce because oh my god
1: spike and joyce like i love this whole thing because you know we see spike at joyce's right and it's this wonderful setup because angel of course is the good vampire and spike's the bad vampire but what joyce knows is that spike is the you know, good vampire for a given value of good, you know, <laughs> and that Angel is the bad vampire who was killing everybody and she doesn't know anything that's going on. So we have this wonderful setup and Spike's there and he's talking to her and they're having that wonderful connection and then Angel comes in but he's not invited and he can't get into the house and all of this stuff. I mean, it's this wonderful setup. But when you look back at the at the genesis of this, yeah. right? He was leaving the factory to go get a love spell book mm-hmm. and to get the ingredients needed right for willow to do her spell on drusilla he doesn't need joyce for that he doesn't need joyce for that why does he go to see joyce joyce if anything sets up you know buffy and he doesn't he well no he knows angels back at that point but like buffy and angel coming in and, and ruining his plans that's what that does but this is exactly what the way that Spike is, right? He doesn't do things because it is the smart play. He does things because he feels his way through the world. And in that moment, what he felt was, I want my mommy. Yep.
0: <laughs> I love it so much. I love I it. He know. goes to Joyce because he wants a cup of hot cocoa with those little marshmallows. With and those to little like,
1: marshmallows. bear
0: his soul about the girl who broke his heart. It's so good. Oh my exactly god. and
1: we never get that moment of him choosing to go see Joyce and if you don't think about it you're just you know because the the movement of those lines of conflict is so beautiful you know of course you got to have this moment where he's behind Joyce making vampire faces oh god at Angel, that's right? you know? so
0: funny it's
1: so wonderful you know but I love that Joyce sits down with him <laughs> talks to him makes him cocoa you know <laughs> tries to help him work through his feelings and through his emotions and he's trying to you know figure out his whole stuff he goes to Joyce for solace and I love the relationship between Spike and Joyce. Um, you know, the first time he met Joyce, she hit him in the head with an axe, which of course the way to Spike's heart is through violence, yes. right? Get away from my daughter, mm-hmm. right? Then in Becoming Part 2, he just sat on the couch with her awkwardly and made small talk. Oh, God, you know, which was so
0: cool, perfect.
1: You know, but here he comes to her because he wants a mother's comfort, yeah. you know, and given his relationship to his own mother, which is something we'll go into in much more yes, depth later on in will. the series. Um, oh, it is so interesting how he turns to Joyce looking to be like the little boy again and you know and what's funny is that we're going to see that parent-child relationship between Spike and Giles Buffy's other parent yes right you know in season mm-hmm. four he's living with Giles for a while almost like a kid that came home from college and can't get a job right um we've got season six and Tabula Rasa um he naturally feels this childhood rebellion against Giles and decides that Giles is his father Yes. Right? Um, you know, uh, in Restless, um, this is during a dream sequence, but, you know, he's on the swings with Giles wearing an identical tweed suit to Giles. He's a mini Giles, right? He is like dark Giles. So you know? great. Um, so it's so interesting, although it does because he sort of shares her parental figures, sort of sets up this uh, Buffy and Spike as brother and sister, which is a place we do not want to go with this <laughs> relationship, considering where it's going. Uh, um, I mean. But it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah you know yeah i mean they're his they're his in-laws i guess you could
0: look at them that way but
1: oh, god. yeah no it's it's really it's so
0: so oh, good god the hell math laws of marriage i'm just like huh okay so you're vampire oh, in-law and then you're <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever <laughs> <laughs> oh my! All right. Goodness. So one
1: other thing I want to talk about, now that we have beaten love to death, which I think is really, really good, because <laughs> it's such a central part to this whole um, episode, um, is the nature of magic. Right. It's clear that magic that aims to enforce your will over others, like anything that subverts the free will of somebody else has clear splashback effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen that before, right? Um, you know, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered with uh Xander's love spell, which of course he brings up yes. to Willow right now. Um, and Willow was the one whose free will free will was subverted in that episode so she should really understand that you know um, basically all of Willow's arc in season six where she is trying to subvert her her will over everything including Buffy's death mm-hmm. she didn't allow Buffy to die she brought Buffy back because she thought that was the way the world should yep. be and of course pulls Buffy out of heaven which is a, a really really interesting place we're going to talk about a lot when we get there um, but you know it's like with great power comes great responsibility you have to realize what you're doing and most of the magical spells that have gone awry in the Buffyverse are from Willow's attempts to shape the world as she wants it to Mm -hmm. be. Like if you think about season four, something blue, right? My will be done, so mote it be, right? So it's a lesson that Willow struggles with. So much. And she actually has a classic villain mentality. The world sucks, so let me shape it the way I think it should be, rather than go through the pain of accepting it as it is. And because she decides that she knows what's best, that is classic villain territory. And yet we have it in one of our most you know powerful heroes in this you know this story I mean we do get her as the as the big bad at the end of season 6 eventually right you know um where we have that turn but um but it's really interesting how she does have that villain mentality
0: yeah i mean it's ego right it's like i know what mm-hmm. i'm doing you know she goes into the shop right. and the shopkeeper's like uh do you you know are you sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, I know how to work a love spell. So, really? <laughs> okay. All right. So, has she done this Like, before? Well, we know. I mean, we yeah. know that she's been playing around with magic. But then right. when she's with Spike and she's afraid, she's like, oh, you know, I'm not a real witch. And I don't know there if mm-hmm. she's downplaying her abilities because she doesn't want to do this thing because she's afraid. Or if she really is, you know, Spike is our truth seer at this point. Like, he yeah. has the bullshit detector. So, yeah, you know, maybe she's not as powerful as all that, except yep. that we know, you know, we saw what happened to her you know, when she gave Angel his soul back. So right, Willow's got some serious serious Willow's got some magical, power. magical power. She's got Mojo. Yeah. 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 No, she's definitely <laughs> and I got love, that. yeah, but- I love this, this, like, it is. It is kind of a classic villain sort of a space where she's brought Xander to the chemistry lab. You know, she's lied mm-hmm. to him about why he's coming there, and then yep. she's like, "Oh, I thought it would work better if you didn't know." Mm-hmm. Which is right. So, exactly. like, really? That that? Yeah, that's dark. That's pretty dark. But what I love, we get a little, we get a nice little bit of character development or character. I don't know growth, maybe from Xander, mm-hmm. where he he figures it out. He's like, "Wait a yeah. second, this is love spell stuff," which <laughs> I love. You're making me hold a Raven's. Yeah, feathers. he's like, "Hold on a minute!" <laughs> like, it's just so it's so great because it yeah. suggests to me that he's been he's been paying attention. <laughs> you know, he's yeah, been, he's learned a thing. He's believe absorbed it or not. a thing or two about like yeah. magic and how it works and what parts you Mm -hmm. use for what sorts of spells and I'm just like okay yeah you know points to Xander for knowing what's what for for having a sense of
1: it but there are times though when you can use magic and it's okay you know like if you're stopping magical or supernatural evil we've had Willow do that a ton You know, we've had the protection spell, the de-inviting angel to Buffy's house, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, I mean, I think that that is a, a protection spell, things that are working on other supernatural things that also have magical power. So you've got that, you don't have the kind of power differential that you have when you're doing a magical spell on, you know, regular humans, mundane creatures, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you're if you're working with supernatural things and you have less of a power differential and so that makes it okay because we're on the same ground, um, Um, There's also the breaking of curses, you know, when she was restoring Angel's soul, Mm -hmm. um, which of course was something that somebody somebody mundane put on somebody um, supernatural. You know, so that was okay because of that power differential, I guess. I guess, You know, because yeah. even though you're subverting <laughs> angels' free will, but still. Um, so, I mean, like, everything, there are rules to it. And it's really interesting about when the magic is okay. Like, when it's in service of saving lives or protecting people, you know, from supernatural elements. You know, it's like the same way that Buffy can stake a vampire, but she can't kill a bad human. Mm-hmm you know, because it's different because there are different rules for that sort of thing. Um, But it also brings like this idea that, um, and I'm I'm a little jumping the gun on this because we're not going to see Anya until next week. But But. since we're here, (laughs) I mean, it's interesting that for demons who are inherently magical and supernatural, there does not seem to be a real splashback effect of using those magical powers on humans. Like Anya spends thousands of years being a vengeance demon, inflicting her vision of justice on bad men um, and there does not appear to be any sort of splashback from that onto her until she becomes human and then goes back to being a vengeance demon and at that point what the splashback is is not a magical splashback it's not a spell gone awry it's just that she has guilt and regret Aww, because she human is, is so freshly not human <laughs> she's got the feeling. you know because you because you pay for what you mm-hmm. do Like nobody gets away with anything because no matter what, if you've done something terrible, you bring that with you into everything that you do for the rest of your life. And the justice may not be visible, but it's there. Like nobody gets away with anything. Um, So I think that's kind of like an interesting take on on that whole thing you know and of course we'll talk about the the nature of vengeance versus justice and all that kind of stuff um but one of the questions that i had and i think we may need to wait a little while to answer this but it's just something i was kind of <laughs> interested in is did, you know did anya have a soul when she was a demon
0: that's a really good i mean question. i think that
1: she's or did she when she was turned human did she she had a soul she was originally human yes. She didn't lose it when she became a demon and get it back suddenly when she became... Because she wasn't, like, evil. She was out for justice and vengeance and, you know, fighting for women who had been wronged and all that kind of thing. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. We're going to put a hold on that <laughs> question because we're definitely going to come back to that. But in the meantime, I want to tell you that this episode of Still Pretty is brought to you by Regrettablespells.com. Regrettablespells.com specializes in all the magical spells you really shouldn't do because of the inevitable magical splashback effect. But when you're truly desperate to do something mystically dumb... Regrettablespells.com is the place to meet all your karmic slap in the face needs. Want to force someone to love you? Regrettablespells.com will hook you up with our love spell special complete with organic Eye of Newt and a Hanky to wipe your tears when it backfires and she falls in love with a chaos demon. Need to cover the face of your rival with boils? Regrettablespells.com will give you a two for one deal wherein you also get covered with boils and get the jump on the magical forces that be, which would certainly do something more creative and less medically treatable to you. Go to regrettablespells.com and use the code saw that coming to get your discount and karmic retribution today. Or instead, you could choose to take the $3 you might spend on subverting the free will of others and give it directly to chipperish media so that we can keep making the great podcasts you love, like Still Dead about Angel the Series, hosted by me and Dr. Kelly Jones. Listen up a about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hosted by me and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. Orgasm about explosive inspiration from Dr. Kelly Jones and our own Noelle LaCroix. And our Star Wars podcast Metaphors Be With You, hosted by Rob Hyret. And very soon, we're going to have a new Good Omens podcast coming from me and Dr. Kelly Jones. Welcome to the end times. Go to Chipperish.com to find out more and visit Patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more about how you can support us in all the things that we do.
0: Awesome. <laughs> that was done on
1: one long breath. That's fine. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> like running a goddamn yeah! marathon
0: doing those things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, So what else do we got here to talk about during Lover's Walk?
0: Well, all right. So you were, you were, you maybe put the love idea to bed a little early because I want to talk about the Buffy angel dynamic uh-huh. as contrasted with the Willow Xander dynamic. All right. Well, let's take that, um, that love idea back out of bed and yeah, play around with it for a yeah, while.
1: Yeah, let's. <laughs> that sounds dirty. I didn't mean it to sound that way, but it came out that I, way. You know
0: what? You know what? Let's just, we're going let's with run it. run with it's it. Fine. We'll go with it. So. Angel, we, you know, when we see Angel and Buffy together, they are trying so hard, you guys. Like, Buffy, Tells Angel they're friends Uh and he picks it up and runs with it, you know. And he says, You know, she's talking about going to college and, Mm -hmm. you know, what should she do? And he says, As a friend. Right. And then Buffy gets her feelings hurt. God damn it. Right. But he clearly doesn't want her to go. He just is, he wants what's best for her. But they're like doing this little dance of like, Okay, I'm going to try to be supportive. And like, how do I. You know, what words do I use? And I'm going to be very careful to make it Mm -hmm. clear what is happening or not happening with us. Meanwhile, Willow and Xander are just like big feelings. Just all the big feelings. Mm -hmm. It's like hormonal balls to the wall, bundles of emotion. Yeah. And we get this so beautifully in the way those emotions show up, not just when they're together, Mm -hmm. but In our Willow, Oz, Witch scene. (laughs) And in the Cordelia, Xander, you know, locker door material scene. It's so lovely. And they're so nicely complementary in the settings and the blocking, those two locker scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, Willow and Xander both occupy the left side of the frame in their respective scenes, while Oz and Cordelia are on the right. Mm -hmm. And it's probably a stretch to say that they're on the right because they're Right. right. And Xander and Willow are wrong. <laughs> right. But whatever. But it's a nice it's a nice call out, though. I like that. Yeah. I mean, and it's just this like, you know, uh, uh Angel and Buffy are trying so hard not mm-hmm. to be open yes. and honest with each mm-hmm. other. And Willow and Xander kind of can't help but being open. You know, they can't help it. Right. He's because talking, they're lying you know, to everybody else. They're being honest with each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know Xander saying, you know, we're just we're just like really good friends, and and can I kiss your earlobe? Yeah. <laughs> just oh no, like this is not mm-hmm. you can't. They just cannot keep it. They can't keep it, and they just are so attracted to each other, and they're yeah. so in love, and it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I mean, it's that it's the vulnerability thing, right? Right? I mean, mm-hmm. Angel and Buffy know what's up. They're not going to be vulnerable because if they do that then then they have to you know cop to how they really feel about each other well and you have
1: to also deal with the consequences of everything he did you know i mean he's got a soul now and that's great but he also killed her friends and like and did some really terrible things and like how do you come back from that i mean again you know Holding Angel responsible for things that he does when the demon has control is, you know, a questionable thing and something we don't do in any other context, you know. Um, But it's, you know, he's got his soul back and he wouldn't ever do that again. But if they're together and they sleep together again, then he might do that again. And so, like, it's the kind of thing where they really, you know, they cannot be together, but they cannot not be together. And how do you live in that middle space?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to find out. Yes, no. we
1: certainly
0: are. We certainly are. But as
1: you talk about vulnerability, I think that, you know, I, in a lot of my writing classes, um, when I talk about building character, I, I talk about the essential importance of vulnerability, which is something that we don't talk about, I think, as much when it comes to character in general. Um, you know, we talk about characterization and like, you know, who, who are they and what are they like? And give them the, you know, Myers-Briggs test and find out if they're an ENFP or whatever the fuck, you know, <laughs>
0: um, but, But
1: really, what it comes right down to is that vulnerability properly applied you know, without being too much overdone, weaponized, any of that, but real true vulnerability actually gives you such great access to a character. And when you've got a character like Spike, like we love Spike for a lot of reasons, you know, like he's funny, he's charming, he's fun to watch. You know, he's got this passion for life. He's not always the smartest guy. He doesn't always think things through, you know, (laughs) Um, but he's got all these wonderful qualities that we just love. And it's just such a shame that he's such a bad guy. And here we go in this moment where he cracks a bottle and holds the shard to Willow's eye <laughs> yes, <laughs> and threatens her. And in a half a second later, he goes to crying on her shoulder, you know, and that mm-hmm. vulnerability has the power to like we instantly turn with him and, you know, love him in that moment, you know, and it is so incredibly it's, it's to see him cry and like be so hurt and you know feel all this stuff so openly Mm -hmm. um and willow's response i mean i just they're there there." (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know it's just it's so incredibly good and it speaks to vulnerability you know, it is essential to any major characters that you've got. And I think that having a sense of anybody's vulnerability is going to be good, no matter what you're writing, um, no matter whether it's a, a small character, you know, or whatever. Um, there's, there's always with any character that we're going to get to know at any level, you need to think about where their vulnerability is and what that's about um, because it's what gives us access to those characters and makes us love them. I mean, faith mm-hmm. is so incredibly vulnerable um, in so many ways, while at the same time being so tough. And that's mm-hmm. what makes us, you know, gives us that access to her, is that incredible vulnerability, even when she's doing terrible things, as we're going to see, you know, as we move through the season and next. Um, She's um, she's still got that incredible vulnerability, which I think is, is what makes her work so well. And it's what makes Spike work so well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think with both of them, a lot of that vulnerability is in the details yes. of how they exist in the world around them. I mean, mm-hmm. Spike has this great relationship with food. Right. And I don't mean, I don't mean, you know, vamping out and and feeding on people, but like, like not living human food, food. human like, food, yeah. human food, which he doesn't um, need. Right. No, yeah. no. But it's extremely vulnerable and relatable. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's opening up to Joyce and then he says, you got any of those little marshmallows? Mm -hmm. And his little weak smile as he asks just drives it home that like Mm -hmm. it's that it's comfort and pleasure that he's after. And he very Mm -hmm. much is a creature of comfort and pleasure in a lot of ways even though he likes even though he likes violence and death and (laughs) right
1: but i mean he's fully open to the entire range of experience i mean he's hedonistic in every way it's fabulous
0: yep and we will see more with spice and hedonic eating as we go on and it just lights me up every time it happens because right as he tells us like He likes the world. (laughs) There's great stuff in it. And he's (laughs) even when even when he's heartbroken and miserable and, you know, sobering up when he would rather not be. He still loves the world and all the mini marshmallows in it. It makes me so happy. No, he really does. I also
1: love this idea that we have here of Spike going soft. Yes. you know um he says it was the tr- it was the truce with buffy that did it drew said i'd gone soft and then lenny the one of the mayor's vampire goon squad says i heard you'd gone soft like baby food right you mm-hmm. know um and it's it's really interesting because um because spike is you know this this william the bloody he's this terrible killer right <laughs> yeah. you know um and yet we have this whole thing that he's doing in pursuit of Those hedonistic values, you know, he goes to see Joyce in pursuit of that comfort and, of course, the cocoa and the marshmallows, you know, Um, and he gets Willow to, like, you know, make this love spell and he's got Willow and Xander, you know, in the basement of the factory. And at the end, after he's had this fight, after he's had that experience, (laughs) after his blood gets pumping again... He doesn't try to kill anybody. He's like, your friends are in the factory. That's fine. Go ahead and get them. I don't care. You know, and, and he just leaves town thrilled at his, you know, ability to go get Drew back, you know? Um, And it's, it's funny because this idea of Spike being soft because he, he is in pursuit of things other than, I mean, violence is part of that hedonistic pleasure, you know, but I mean, it's, it's not in and of itself about doing as much damage as possible. It's about right. how he feels in the moment. So, I mean, he could stay and do a lot more damage. He could go back and kill both Willow and Xander if he wanted to, you mm-hmm. know. Um,
0: but there's but no fun not in it anymore. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. not,
1: it's not for the fun. Like, if it's not serving his fun, you know, then is that in a sense what makes him soft? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's—I mean, I just—I love Spike so much. I just—I so love, great. I love the way he just pops back into Sunnydale in this mm-hmm. episode, gives us a bunch of great, crunchy stuff to work with, and yeah. then zooms off down the highway. <laughs> I know it's Mary so Witt. fantastic. It is so fantastic. All right, so Noel, tell me, what are you wearing? Oh my gosh, we got some great, really meaningful costuming. In this yeah. episode, um, you know, once again, we do a little bit of pink and blue with Xander and Willow, that very, very light blue on Xander and very, very light pink on Willow. You yeah. Know, when they're in the, they're in the uh, factory together, but Willow's sheer fuzzy pink sweater. Yeah. I, I don't know. That just feels like everything that is Willow. Like she's yeah. so, it's so sweet because she's so covered up, but also mm-hmm. so like, cuddly and vulnerable and i just i yeah i love that sweater Um, yeah no it's fantastic and angel found a shirt yes angel found a shirt now it raises the question for me though of like which is preferable shirtless tai chi angel or shirted reading angel oh reading yeah oh reading. (laughs) and the thing is that you know
1: like uh, giving giving a guy a book you know and it's like a french you know whatever i forget you know, what he's, he's reading he's, yeah it's something some, it's yeah. something obnoxious you know it's one of those it's like i'm i'm just going to sit here and read my sort, you know like that <laughs>
0: um
1: but the thing is though that i really love about angel and this is consistent in in him throughout the series is that he is highly cultured you know like like over on angel the series we see that he loves ballet you know, yes. he's very excited about thoughts and ideas and philosophy um, and he doesn't show it off. Mm-hmm. He's not like, well, you know, he doesn't go around like quoting Nietzsche, you know, or anything <laughs> like that. But he's read it. And like, you know that he has because of the way that he looks at the world and the way that like Angel in, in the television series over in Angel the Series, he's he's all about the why, you yeah. know, like, like, why do these things happen? What is this about? You know, and that's what always matters more is answering the why for him, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that while I would find that to be like a cheap you know grabbing a, a shot of him reading you know french novels by the fire is this you know instant metro pass to you know i'm i'm so evolved and cultured but we actually do see in angels everyday characterization that he is very thoughtful, that he's very philosophical, that he does think deeply, and that these are the things that actually would appeal to him. So I got to say, I vote for shirted reading Angel every day and <laughs> twice on Sundays. How about you?
0: <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the idea that Angel would take this immortality opportunity to read and explore the arts and, yes. you know, like... I God, if I had 200 years on the planet, you know, I would be reading all the books and seeing all oh, the movies. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And, of course, in that moment, when we see him reading, it's such a great visual counterpoint to Spike, who's lurking mm-hmm. in the right. shadows of the mansion and is drunk off his ass and falling <laughs> over. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love the point, counterpoint between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um Someone we haven't really talked about in this episode is Cordelia. Oh, yeah. But she looks absolutely beautiful in every scene yeah. she's in. She also looks like a high fashion schoolgirl with her red mm-hmm. twin set and the plaid skirt in the opening scene. And then her green plaid skirt and her little blue tank top uh, when the yes. group is discussing bowling. Mm-hmm. It's super tropey. But I like that she's smart and and sexy and her clothes are doing some of that exposition for us. Yes. Absolutely. I really appreciate. And this is the thing is, you know, like whenever they talk about Cordy, you
1: know, or Cordy's clothing, whenever that actually comes into the textual discussion in the dialogue, there's always this sense that she dresses so slutty. And she really doesn't. No, you know, I mean, she's actually fairly conservative. I mean, you know, yeah, doing the Catholic schoolgirl thing, you know, maybe a little bit provocative in some context. But I think that the fact that she
0: is a schoolgirl, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, Well, and some of that, like, dressing slutty, Mm-hmm. Um something that that I have experienced directly is that when you are busty mm-hmm. people decide that you are dressed slutty because of the way your your body shape because it's you're not wearing something up to your neck undeniable yeah. but even, no, if are, right. even if you are even if you are if right. you have no, very breasts true. and they stick out if,
1: if you're not if you're not wearing like a huge blousey shirt to cover everything up like you should be ashamed yeah you know then and you're slutty and if you are wearing that then you're not fashionable and you know uh, yeah it's it's a double-edged sword for it's ridiculous girls.
0: and I think mm-hmm. a lot of I think a lot of the like Cordelia dresses slutty or Cordelia looks like a slut and you know we're not going to unpack that word for another hour even though oh. totally could um, yes. you know a lot of that idea about Cordelia looking trashy or looking some certain way that implies something about her you know in this mm-hmm. bullshit patriarchal blah yeah. blah 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 I think I think has much more to do with her body type and the kind yeah. of you know, va, 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 boom thing that she has right. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, then it does, you know, anything to do with her specific fashion her choices. Her choices. It doesn't
1: matter what she wears. Mm-hmm. People are going to see it as slightly yeah. because of her body type.
0: Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. I mean, exactly. Her, Welcome to the patriarchy. Right. Yeah. Her, her date night outfit is this like high neck white yeah. t shirt, but it's yeah. fitted to her body.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: which is curvy. And I don't mean that euphemistically. I mean it like she is truly curvy Mm -hmm. in the way that Marilyn Monroe was curvy. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I find it fascinating that we have this narrative about like Cordelia and her fashion. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah. Anyway, so Cordelia. Cordelia looks gorgeous. Her date night outfit is adorable. Her curly mm-hmm. hair, her date night hair. Yeah, I have all the hair envy right now, though. I was noticing everybody's hair this week because <laughs> I'm growing up my hair. It's driving yeah. me insane. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Cordelia giving me serious hair feels. Um. But of yeah. course, the other reason for that white, you yeah. know, that white top is that then when she falls... Mm-hmm. On the rebar, we can really we can clearly see yeah. see. yeah, that's a little bit of a, Ugh. that's a body horror clue often when yeah. someone's wearing a lot of white, especially if they don't <laughs> normally wear a lot of white. You're like, mm, that's going to get happen. bloody real quick. <laughs> exactly. So, um and then someone else we haven't really talked about because he's not really here is Giles. Yeah. Um And this is the first episode where I noticed just how oversized Giles' clothes look. Oh, yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. I've been watching too much Queer Eye, but Anthony Stewart yeah. Head looks like he's swimming in his costume in the he one does. brief Giles scene that we get. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how much of that is the style of men's fashion at the time, though I suspect mm-hmm. Giles's pleated pants would have seemed dated in the late 90s. Maybe. <laughs> and how much of that is like the de-sexification of Giles because he's supposed to be the dad now but i was like but it struck me really hard i was like wow no they are they got really big and the thing is like season
1: one his tweed suits were fairly fitted you know, but yeah, all of his clothes have gotten like bigger and bulkier. And in season four, we're going to move into sweater Giles, right? And all of his sweaters are <laughs> oh, way too big. Giles' like,
0: sweater collection. I know
1: everything <laughs> is way too big. I think the only time we've actually seen the man's body is in Band Candy this season, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, no, it is. It is really interesting. It's Very strange. It's very, I don't know why they've strange. decided to do that. I mean. Yeah, no, no sexy dad Giles. Except that you can't fool us. Oh, he's still sexy dad. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, you can't (laughs) fool us, costume department. Like (laughs) you you can't, you can't put a sack over that. That (laughs) We see the sexy. That's right. We see the sexy. (laughs) Anthony Stewart had sexiness. Just comes on out no matter what. Oh my god. Um.
1: All right. So what do we got for Arc the Patriarchy this week?
0: Okay. So. It's played for humor and Mm -hmm. it's totally hilarious. We talked about it a little bit already. And Spike unloading on Willow, who is his terrified prisoner, (laughs) is unacceptable, entitled male bullshit. I mean, but it's also perfect. Like, it's absolutely perfect. It's completely typical. But yes, exactly. Like, here are these
1: women right between her and Joyce. Yeah. Right? Here are these women who exist to, you know, let me unload and talk about my feelings. (laughs) You
0: process how I feel and right. threaten you. Like, and that with is... Joyce is not
1: so bad because he's not threatening her. He's not, you know, but yeah. like I mean, with, with Willow, he goes from shoving a broken bottle in her face to weeping on her shoulder. <laughs> She's supposed to be like, There, there.
0: Well, and we see that with Spike and Willow in the initiative when he has his yes. chip and he tries to bite yes. her. And that is a real uncomfortable scene. And it ends yeah. the same way with her comforting him. Mm-hmm. after he's you know he's not able to munch on her in the way that he would like
1: right do. with of course in that
0: that sexual oh god you know yeah. that
1: sexual analog that they have in that scene in which she is basically comforting him because he is unable to rape her yes um so yeah, yeah so that's there's a lot of we're going to we're going to definitely unpack that when we get there that's
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is a fun scene, and by fun, yeah. I mean really uncomfortable. <laughs> so. But so beautiful in so many ways. Like oh, it's, but so it's good. Complicated. Well, and as Spike likes to remind us, often he's evil. He he's is evil. The Let's bad not forget. Guy. Exactly. So this is like we can enjoy. Mm-hmm. We can enjoy these like really uncomfortable, um even predatory moments with Spike. Because he is evil. Because he is evil. Exactly. And I mean, this is the thing. Like, the, they,
1: um, I've, I've heard that the writers would, would have this thing where they would make Spike remind people that he is evil because people loved him so much and people were so <laughs> into him. And the thing is, is that we see that happening. You know, culturally, like, there's this show on Netflix called You, and I haven't watched it, but I've heard a lot about it, where there's like basically a sociopath at the center of it, and everybody's really into him. And yeah. the actor who plays him was like, uh, evil totally evil guy. terrible yeah. human being like do not find this sexy uh there's a ted bundy thing uh, yeah um, people i refuse into ted bundy. to
0: watch that because yeah uh-uh. i know but i
1: mean like and people get really into like the sexy evil guy the sexy darkness and i mean i'm i'm gonna admit i love me some spike uh when wesley goes dark over an angel love that shit, right you know so like I am not gonna lie like you know I think we we are all a little bit susceptible to it, but it is really important. I mean Wesley never was really evil. He went dark, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. kept a woman in the closet for a while, but you know whatever He gave her a bucket it was fun he gave her a bucket it was um so I don't know like it's it's interesting that we do have to keep reminding ourselves you know that that he is evil and don't fall in love with this guy and make him into something that is good because evil is evil monster is monster and you can love him but you can't forget what he is
0: yeah yeah yep
1: no it's it's pretty tough all right so girl power moment of the week what you got
0: uh i got willow willow Mm -hmm. crying terrified but telling spike what's what you know there will be no having of me in any yes. way. It's like I and she's that. shaking. She's horrified. She's not, mm-hmm. you know, she's not powerful in that moment. Yeah. And she's still she's still not gonna let him, you know, completely overpower her. It's wonderful. And of course, mm-hmm. you know how I love a good domestic twist. So Buffy yeah. in the kitchen with a wooden spoon about to stake spike <laughs> just delights me. Just, oh, yeah, you know, anytime. I love
1: the way she's always ready to kill him, you know she never does, yeah, because we can't have that because we need spike, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, I love the way that she's always like, "I will kill you in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> all right, so, Noel, what's your favorite part? It's a tie, I can't choose, mm-hmm. which is kind of appropriate, given the episode that we're in, um where everybody is in love with everybody, but. you know hard decisions it's fine i have so i have two i have two favorite parts one is willow's pez witch emotional roller coaster yes (laughs) so excited that she's interrupting herself right which feels so real to Mm -hmm. me it's so delightful to watch it feels so real and also deeply sad foreshadowing when oz says they don't make a pez werewolf I know. Pez witch can't have a boyfriend because there's no pez I werewolf know. and it's just, it's so oh, my heart, my heart. <laughs> but so that's, that's my like comic tragic favorite part. Um, my straight up c- comic favorite part is mm-hmm. spike catching fire. Oh, <laughs> I love, I love a hungover, passed out vampire <laughs> in I the know. sun catching fire and then just deciding that. This is all too much. (laughs) So funny. And so, so and so perfectly Spike, especially at that point where he cannot catch a break, man. That is a classic. No, but this is exactly, this is Spike. He does
1: what feels good in the moment, getting drunk in Angel's (laughs) courtyard and spying on him. And then when the consequences happen, he deals with it, you know, but I mean, like he doesn't plan. He doesn't think things through. That's not who he is.
0: Nope, not at all. What's your favorite part, Lonnie?
1: Oh, God. Willow and Spike.
0: Like, I I love
1: the relationship between these two. And it's kind of a side relationship. Like, we don't really develop Willow and Spike a whole lot, the two of them, you know. Um, But we do get these moments. And, like, honestly, this one reflected with the one that you mentioned in the initiative, you know, where Mm -hmm. he's just he's just pathetically falling apart and she's comforting him, you know. and I think that it's just it's really incredibly sweet but I love her timing I'm so unhappy yes there there, there you know and there. it's just it's so tense and it's so fun I just oh god I love I love that whole thing and I, basically anything Spike anything Willow I love it yep All right, that's it for today.
0: Join in the discussion on Twitter. Follow me at Lonnie9Rich and Noelle at NoelleAloud and use the hashtag StillPretty. Or you can keep chipperish media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the chipperish patrons who need a good spot of violence to put everything into perspective. This
1: episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer, Abby, who requested Lover's Walk as the specific episode she wanted to produce, and that shows excellent taste. Abby supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level, and as a reward, gets to tie Drusilla up and torture her until she likes her again. Thank you, Abby, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you, too, can become a
0: Still Pretty producer. We will be back next time with The Wish, the ninth episode of season three. Until then, we may be love's bitch, but at least we're man enough to admit it.